name is Erin Keenan, and you're listening to the Root and Stem podcast, a podcast exploring issues and stories in STEAM education. In this episode, we explore the challenge of preserving and protecting Arctic marine wildlife. My name is Erin Keenan, and my title is Senior Manager of Arctic Marine Conservation. I work for World Wildlife Fund Canada, and we're part of an international network of um, environmental, non-governmental organizations that work to promote the conservation of wildlife habitat. But for WWF Canada, we work primarily on um, those issues, but here at home in Canada. And for me specifically, I work on um, in the Arctic region, so conservation projects in the Canadian Arctic. And our work is focused a lot on partnerships, so partnering with local communities. And that's more true, um, even more true in the Arctic than in other parts of Canada, where we work really closely with uh, Inuit communities to support locally led conservation initiatives that tend to focus on um, habitat protection, um, research, um, but also can bleed into like supporting food security initiatives or community monitoring projects. Um, it really depends on, you know, what people in the region want to see and how we can support them. As the sort of, I guess, manager of some of our Arctic marine conservation initiatives, um, I work with a team of people and we we work on a lot of different marine arctic marine issues at, at wwf so some people are focused a lot on um, mitigating the impacts of shipping in the arctic on wildlife habitats uh, my work focuses more on marine protected areas and area-based protection measures especially mpa that's marine protected area um, network planning so week to week um, i do a little bit of research and, and um, projects into you know, supporting in a specific region why there might need to be a marine protected area or how we can improve existing protection measures. I do a lot of um, meeting with people in the region to talk about um, community perspectives on marine conservation issues. So things like if a particular community is seeing a decline in their local wildlife due to an increase in shipping, I might be talking to them about those concerns and trying to identify what we can do um, to mitigate that. And Another part of my job is sometimes participating in public hearing processes or working with community members to support their participation in those public hearing processes. So there might be an environmental assessment about uh, a mining project or another sort of development project that some of our community partners have a perspective on. And so we will support them by helping them to find consultants who can do research to get information that they might need to participate in that process, or we might just support their travel to attend a public hearing. It's really driven by local needs. So week to week, I'm working on identifying what those needs are and where we have those partnership opportunities within the context of working on marine conservation issues, which is which can be pretty broad. With climate change, we're seeing the winter sea ice in the Arctic Ocean breaking up earlier. It's forming later in the year. So the shipping season which up until now has been fairly short in the Arctic, it's getting longer and longer each year. And that's opening up opportunities for more shipping activity, essentially. So in Nunavut, where I work, shipping is incredibly important because all of the communities in Nunavut are only accessible by plane and by ship in the summertime. So a lot of the supplies that people need for their day-to-day -day lives come in on ships every year. So it's a, it's a part of daily life, but it's also industrial projects in, in Nunavut and other parts of the Arctic, such as mining projects, rely a lot on shipping as well to get their materials to the mine site and often to ship it, kind of ship out the, the products back out. 
So with climate change, it's creating new conditions for shipping and shipping um, sort of, as I've said, is an important economic activity, but it also introduced some new risks to marine ecosystems. So things like the risk of an oil spill increases if there's more shipping activity. There's more risk of invasive species being introduced through ballast water. There's currently not a lot of restrictions around where ships are allowed to dump their sewage and gray water, and that can introduce um, contaminants into marine ecosystems as well. So these are all issues that we've kind of worked to mitigate, and we've also heard from our partners and communities that they have concerns about some of these impacts. So we might support research into understanding what the risks are or into um, methods of mitigating those risks. One other impact from shipping um, that people are concerned about tends to be the increase in underwater noise. So a lot of Arctic marine mammals are very sensitive to noise and ships introduce a lot of noise into the underwater environment that's not something they've necessarily adapted to. So that can be mitigated through um, seasonal restrictions on shipping or asking ships to go more slowly so they don't produce as much sound or designing or identifying corridors where it's safer for the ships to travel where they won't be as disruptive to marine mammals. Certainly it's a part of Canada that I think people maybe think of just because it's such a like geographically a huge part of Canada, but they don't necessarily know a lot about what day-to-day -day life is like there or what some of the issues that people are facing are because it's so remote and such a unique part of Canada relative to um, you know where a lot of Canadians live. But at the same time, especially with um, thinking about climate change and how it's communicated, it's people have kind of a lot of ideas around what conservation in the Arctic might look like from um, the imagery of, you know, polar bears swimming or that kind of mythology almost around um, the impacts of climate change. I find that it, people have ideas about the Arctic when they think about conservation and climate change because of um, how polar bears and other Arctic wildlife have been used and melting, melting Arctic sea ice has been used as sort of symbolism for that. The reality is that climate change is a huge issue in the Arctic not necessarily because of the impact on polar bears, but more so because of the people. People are a huge part of the Arctic ecosystem, even though it's a remote part of Canada. And that's why so much of our work is based around partnerships and recognizing that Inuit and other people living in the Arctic have been the stewards of the environment for a long time and they continue to be. And it's only through working with them that we'll be able to address you know, these issues that are coming up and, and make sure that as well, the sort of relatively pristine Arctic ecosystems continue to be that way into the future. It's not necessarily something that people don't think about, but I think the the perception of the Arctic tends to be that, you know, things are melting, polar bears have nowhere to go, but it's it's maybe seems like this empty place where nobody lives and that's not the case at all. Everything is so integrated. So Coming from a, a conservation organization, I think traditionally, I guess, if that's the right term to use, we've approached things thinking about species and how it's going to impact maybe narwhals or polar bears. But more and more, we're trying to think cohesively about how um, environmental change or environmental impacts sort of um, are more holistic. So there's people in, in communities that are relying on Arctic wildlife for food security, um, maybe for tourism opportunities. But those people also need um, the economic development opportunities that might come from something like shipping or mining. So you have to consider all of those things collectively 
rather than thinking just about wildlife conservation. So how can we how can we find ways to support economic development for communities benefits while also mitigating potential impacts to food security if wildlife are being harmed by that economic development and how can the priorities of the people in those communities be at the forefront when you're discussing those issues. WWF is not um, against hunting or consuming wildlife in any way. We support um, sustainable harvesting and recognize that it's an important um, you know, source of food security and way of life for people in the communities where we work, not just in the Arctic, but all over Canada. And that's partly why we work to sort of pursue our conservation work through a partnership approach, because we know that the people that are the most invested in conserving wildlife are the people that need the, that wildlife to be thriving so they have the food security to continue harvesting um, those species. So it, it's natural that um, we would want to support the communities that rely on that wildlife. And they're also the ones that have the most knowledge about what's happening in the environment. They're out interacting with the ecosystem every day. Um, and so they're really the experts in any changes that might be happening, the impacts that activities might be having on those species and um, have ideas around how those can be addressed. So as WWF, we really invest in those relationships quite a bit. Um, and we try to let our partners lead the way in identifying priorities for conservation. And then we kind of come back from those, those discussions and say, where can we be supportive? And sometimes that's through funding, uh, like funding a community monitoring program. It could be through um, supporting like a hunters and trappers organization to hire a consultant to do some research for them. It could be um, identifying some researchers from a university that might be working on a similar topic and kind of supporting them to partner. We've done that in a few communities to look at like local fisheries potential um, or renewable energy potential. So we kind of, it's sort of a, a two-part role that we have where we work to identify what the priorities are on the ground and then we use our connections um, with academia with government um, within our own networks to connect people that are working on similar issues but maybe coming at it from very different angles the canadian arctic is like a really a hot spot for some of the most like iconic arctic wildlife so the majority of the narwhals that live on this planet are within Canada, or at least part of the time, live within Canada. Um, you know, a significant amount of the polar bears of the world also live in Canada. I don't necessarily have statistics, but I think I think that's something to be proud of. Like we can take pride in um, being, I guess, stewards of the ecosystem that is home to those iconic species. And that also gives us a responsibility to make sure that we're protecting their habitat, mitigating our impact on their habitat, and trying to find ways to um, keep those populations thriving into the future as much as we can. It's just been an exciting time to be working in marine conservation in Canada because our government committed to, a few years ago, signed on to an international agreement to protect 10% of our marine areas by 2020. And we we're able to actually surpass that target and recommit to protecting 25% of our marine areas by 2025. And we're, we're pushing for 30% by 2030 as well. Canada currently has about 14% of our marine areas protected and many of, I think probably about 6% of that has been in, in the past 
two or three years and a lot of it is coming from the Canadian Arctic. So there's a lot of, um, I think, momentum towards really ambitious area-based conservation measures in, in the Canadian Arctic and, and other parts of Canada as well. So I think my message, I guess, is to pay attention and kind of be excited about what the future can hold for Arctic marine conservation because we're on a, a pretty positive trajectory right now. For more about ocean conservation, check out the Root and Stem magazine at pingua.com or more episodes of the Root and Stem podcast available to download on your streaming platform of choice, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google.